Uh, hello. Uh, it's very hard going third because all the best bits have already been said. Um, but thank you, thank you both. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, regeneration. I mean, it's one of those words, a bit like sustainability. I had to make a series about regeneration in Yorkshire, uh, which took six years to make, and we put it on Channel 4 about three years, four years ago, called it about a town called Castleford, which is near Normanton, which uh, is now famous for growing rhubarb, but actually in the 80s it was very famous for those fantastically uh, totemic scenes of, of, of lampposts being felled by miners as police charged the miners in their blanked-out uniforms on horses with batons. Um, so Castleford was at the very centre, the epicentre of the miners' strike. And, um, and this is the new bridge across Castleford, and you couldn't hope for a finer symbol of urban regeneration than a bright new shiny piece of architecture, like a bridge, or a new library, or a brand new pet care centre, or a giant out-of-town bowling centre with giant four multiplex cinema attached. Whatever it is. Regeneration. Regeneration is one of those words that gets local authorities really excited, gets councillors and governments really excited, because they think it means new and shiny. And we, all of us, are enormously, as a species, we're enormously seduced by the idea of the new and the shiny. That's why car manufacturers keep changing the bits of plastic they stick on their Audis every three or four years, just to make them look a little bit newer. And um, it's, why we, it's why we enjoy buying Quality Street, and why so many, actually, why so many new statement pieces of architecture in this country look like giant sweet peppers, you know, from the Gherkin, which is a bit of a Fabergé, to the uh, Scottish Parliament, which is just a tent of quality street scattered across the streets of Scotland. <laughs> the, 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 the point about the new and the shiny is that it's immensely appealing, it's much more exciting than having to deal with the old and the tired. I speak as one who is old and tired. <laughs> and, and the idea of regeneration, of remaking, of kind of polishing up, and having this kind of new, sexy, glistening, kind of rather glamorous, bling future is all very well, but of course the moment we make anything on this planet, the moment anything new and bling and shiny comes along, it immediately starts to get old. It immediately starts to tarnish. It immediately, the next day, is already history. And in fact, well, what I want to talk about today is actually not the new, not all this stuff, because this is all a bit of a kind of a distraction, I think, from what regeneration or remaking our lives is. Um, I'm going to talk, of course, about my business, because we're hoping to come to Bristol and do some work here, and, uh, and we'd like to be amongst friends. But I, I, I also want to talk uh, um, about a little bit more about Castleford. This is the beautiful, bling, shiny new town centre before it was regenerated. No, sorry, I'm so sorry. This was after it had been regenerated. Um, it had two, two million pounds spent on it, moving a market. I think uh, three, the fountain was designed, it then didn't happen. The council decided not to put in the openness in the cafes never arrived. And um, instead, instead, this, this pavement, which was designed by what, an international practice of architects who had been invited to take part in the scheme, and together with 15 or 20 other international practices, they saw their work slowly degraded, slowly eroded through the process of installation. This paving uh, actually, actually was chosen by the wife of the chief executive of the local council. <laughs> Amazingly enough, I mean, she's not an architect, nor is she even an elected member, nor is even her husband an elected member. Uh, it goes to show just where the real power decision-making lies in local authorities. Um, 
Now, how? This is my business. It stands for happiness, a word that I like and make no apology of pursuing. Architecture, which I absolutely believe in, and beauty, a word that Tim used, that we don't use enough by, by, by all means. It, we, we did consider it calling it sustainability, happiness, architecture, beauty. That would involve using the S word. And it would also spell share, and we built houses, not, not, not a horrible place. So we decided not to use that word. And um, this is what we kind of stand for. Oh, uh, ecological, sustainable, great word. Beautiful, delightful, distinctive, social, yeah? All the kind of, all the, all the kind of things we you know, seek, really, where we live and, and, and how we operate. And um, this is not one of our schemes, by the way. This is not what, this is a, a housing estate in uh, Salford. Sorry, no, I beg your pardon, it's in, it's in Edinburgh. No, sorry, it's in, um, <laughs> it's everywhere, isn't it? That's the trouble. It's absolutely everywhere. And when I set up our business, I wanted to try and, I wanted to try and do the whole, yeah, low carbon, low energy, low resource thing uh, with housing. But actually, you know what? You can buy a government manual that tells you how to do that. You can build eco-homes you know, I mean, there are, there's a whole section of libraries now about how you can build yourself an eco-house, and, and there are plenty of people who've done it. And, of course, the great thing is that having built an eco-house, uh, if you're a developer, you, you, you put all this fantastic technology in, you know, air source heat pumps and mechanical ventilation, you make it airtight, and you make it out of hemp and straw, and you, you, you create this kind of low-carbon dwelling, and it's great, and it's exciting, and it's the future, and then people move in, and they open the windows and turn the heating on. <laughs> and and, and that, that's the problem. You know, when I give talks about, about what is an eco-house, I start off showing a whole series of slides about what is an eco-car. And I show a picture of a Prius and a Ferrari and an Aston Martin. And I guess this, and I ask the audience, what is the eco-car? And of course, the answer is none of them are eco Because you can drive a Prius 80 miles a day to and from work. You can drive Swindon and back. Well, you could have an Aston Martin at home, parked up in your garage, and drive at weekends and work from home. Uh, who is there? Which is the more ecological car? Is it the Prius, which is there, recycled after six years and there's a problem recycling the batteries, or is it the Aston Martin? 96, I'm not, I don't have an Aston Martin, by the way. Um, I'm not that one. But the point is that 96% of them ever made are still on the road. They're wonderful pieces of craftsmanship. So what... The, the, the same applies to houses. The, the, the point is, you know, we demonise and we sanctify objects, and yet at the same time... The made world is the made world. It's how we use it. It's how we operate within it. It's our behaviour which really matters. That's what determines whether we go to war with each other, whether we love each other, whether we live a low-carbon lifestyle, whether we're happy or whether we're furiously mad with each other. But one thing for sure is, I, 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 when I set the business up, I was pretty convinced we wanted less monotony in our world. And a bit more diversity and a bit more fun and a bit more joy. I know I'm sounding a bit angry about it. But uh, uh, joy is a very important thing. Uh, those of you who don't know this, uh, Tim and I are both vicariously involved in, in the uh, Olympics um, in, on its S side. It, we're sustainability ambassadors. I'm not wearing my badge tonight. Um, one of the things, I think one of the few things we've done is, is set up a badge scheme. <laughs> and the first thing we did was we wore the badges to ourselves, of course. Um, <laughs> And I'm still waiting for the job description to come through, Tim. Have you had yours? Have you had any free tickets yet? No. No, neither have I. But the, 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 what really interests me about the Olympics, to be frank, is not the two-week party. It's not the Paralympics afterwards. It's the hangover. 
It's what's going to happen at the Olympic site for the next five years. And actually, the most interesting time, I think, to visit this place. If you haven't got tickets, don't worry, because you need to go in about 2016 or 2018. Because that's where the local authorities around here, Newham, Greenwich, Ty Hallett, are going to be taking ownership of what is going to be the largest single open space park program since Hyde Park in London. And some of these buildings are going, and when they go, there'll be self-build opportunities, if I had my way, and there will be community self-build opportunity, and there will be a fantastic opportunity for individuals and communities and, and residents to, to regenerate this area. And already there are tens of thousands of dwellings on the site already, which are going to be converted into, into luxury eco-apartments. So this is, a, this is a project on an enormous scale, and it's, it's been planned. It's been planned, actually, not, not at all as an Olympic event in any way, as I think yesterday's uh, revelations about the contents of the arena at the opening. Uh, yes, it's going to be a giant farm, which is going to be opened in the arena, and then it's going to be brought back afterwards, and the arena's going to be turned into a farm in perpetuity. <laughs> So the, 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 the point is, is, that, is that, that that project, which is going to endure now for something like 100 to 200 years, is designed as an extraordinary legacy development, an extraordinary community uh, project, which is on a scale unlike anything else happening in Britain. And I think if we, if we need to look at that, we need to look, at, look, look to, to East London, we need to look at it, as I say, in five, ten years' time, not now. So, um, so... One of the unfortunate problems about regenerating anywhere involving human beings in Britain is the uh, problem not of NIMBYs, uh, not of red tape and government legislation or the planning process. It's the problem of the car. We have created a society. I, the reason I was late is because I chose to come in my car in Stroud today, and I chose to drive here, and I'd forgotten that there was a rush hour in Bristol. And it's, it's sort of the whole thing grinds to an extraordinary halt. And I, I felt deeply humbled by the fact that 299 people had bothered to turn up here on time and one, me, failed. Um, it, 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 the car is an extraordinary divisive thing because what it does, it creates divisive areas. And it, it's, it, it's very greedy. The car demands a lot of space to park, uh, to travel on. It demands a lot of money uh, and a huge amount of resources and a huge amount of intellectual capacity is applied to how to deal with cars in towns and cities and communities and villages. And, um, and as a, well, as a developer, we try, we try and minimise car use by being quite precious about things and saying, you can only have 1.5 cars per household. So, okay, you and you, you have to chuck your cars in half because you can only have, you, know, you share that half with them over there. And, um, but that way, by, by if, if, if you like, when we build houses for people, by exercising a de degree of privation, what we're trying to do at the same time is to, as well as saying to people, look, please try and use the car less. Please try and minimise use. We as developers have to offer all kinds of alternatives. So we put in bicycle share schemes and we put in monitors into people's houses and tell them when the bus is coming and we, we give them a car club. So we give car share spaces and we try and negotiate with the local authorities so that people in the car club can get preferential parking in town when they drive in. So there's lots of fun ways of, of doing that. Um, and um, another absolutely fundamental uh, thing that we, we try and address, and it, it comes back to that, that problem of how everywhere looks the same in Britain now, is we, we try and follow some principles set up by the charity Common Ground, which is about trying to understand local distinctiveness. You know, 
Uh, at Stroud, where I was today, we went into an allotment on a site where we're developing, and we found some local Gloucestershire apples, which we are taking cuttings of, and those trees we are now growing on to be able to plant out the scheme. So the scheme will be planted with an apple variety, which is from that place. It's a tiny, tiny thing, but it's about creating local narratives, stories in a place. And this, for example, this is near Swindon. This is, this is culture and history. This is, this is Avebury. It's a massive, wonderful, Neolithic stone circle. This is a 20th century stone circle, also in Swindon. That's the magic roundabout. I'll tell you something amazing about the magic roundabout. Is there actually, it's, it's five separate roundabouts around a big round the middle. These ones, these ones are conventional roundabouts. You approach them, you drive onto them. Unless you might want. You drive onto them and you go around them in a clockwise fashion. You get to the middle one. You go around that in an anti-clockwise fashion. And the whole, if you've never driven it before, the whole thing works absolutely intuitively. It's completely green. And there are traffic planners from Tokyo who come to Swindon to look at it. I know, I know I'm contradicting myself because that's the thing slanging off the car. But they, they, Swindon is car city. So they come to, to Swindon. What I'm saying is, is that you know, wherever you are, doesn't matter. My, my parents lived in Milton Keynes. I'm just about to talk about Milton Keynes. Okay? My parents lived in Milton Keynes. My father moved to Milton Keynes when he retired. He wanted to experience what life was like in a new town. And he, um, and, and, uh, he loved it. My mother hated it. And, and the, the, the day after he died, he said, I'm leaving. But, but he was absolutely enthralled with the idea of the future and how it could be organised and what might happen. And look, Milton Keynes was built on a field. I mean, it had no narrative at all. You go there now, and it's still quite hard to find out why it's there or what it's for. But Swindon is not the most glamorous of places, and yet it has the most extraordinary collection of historical organisations. The uh, historic monuments records are kept there. The National Trust headquarters are also there. It has a, a World Heritage Site Railway Museum. Swindon has an extraordinary history, and, and so, so does everywhere. And, um, and creating that narrative is really, really important wherever we live. Uh, Isabel Allen, who's our design director in house, she says um, she, she's, uh, she's really big on the storytelling of place. She likes to kind of find out what the local apples are and what the history of the geology of the place is and who lived there 5,000 years ago and so on. And to help kind of create a sort of story. And, and, and sometimes it's a bit thin on the ground. And, and she said to me recently, because the thing is, because if there is no narrative in a place, then you just make it up. But in a sense, that's what we all do, don't we? Because wherever we live, there is a story of a ghost. Or there is a story of an old man who lives down the lane, you know, who was living there in the 18th century, who had magical powers, who could wash away the sins of the children. And, and, and it's very, very important that we not only enshrine that, but we encourage people, without, when we're, and we, I mean, as developers, we work with, with communities, and, and, we, and we try wherever possible to encourage that process and encourage that, that sense of, of narrative and imagination and storytelling in a place. Because all those big shiny buildings are lovely, but really, fundamentally, what that happens is, is when you bring people together, all they've got is a big shiny building, life isn't really that much improved. What, what improves life, of course, is the, is the contact people have with each other. What improves life is, is sociability. What improves life and actually saves the planet is sharing out. Not being selfish, but sharing responsibility, sharing a lift to Marlborough to go shopping. Sharing responsibility, <coughs> being able to use technology, actually, 
in your home, like a, a little sort of home computer that's connected to an internet, to be able to say to your neighbours, help, it's 3 a.m., has anybody got any cow poll? My, my kid's screaming, I've got nothing in the house. And for then somebody to come round at 3 o'clock in the morning with some cow poll and say, yes, here we are, borrow this, use this. So this is all the kind of stuff we try and put into our project. We try and put in the technology. We put in these screens, which I, I'm delighted about because it's the only screen I've ever seen which promotes sociability rather than actually eliminates it from our lives. And we put in shared kitchen gardens and we try and promote uh, fruity streets and edible hedgerows and landscape uh, that is absolutely, um, it's kind of triple, quadruple purpose. So a, a, a tree, an, a willow planted into a swale will suck up water and it will help with the water attenuation and it will take the, get the pressure off the main system when it floods. It will provide somewhere for kids to play. It will provide shelter. It will provide some microclimate, some cooling, some shading. It also, if you sit under a willow, will remove your headache because it produces salicylic acid, which it sort of, exert, it sort of produces a spray, kind of like spray aspirin. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic drink. And it does all of these things, and yet a willow costs 60 pence to buy a little willow. If you want a really big willow, oh, how much is that? 15 quid, maybe. 20 quid. I mean, you know, on a scheme, in, in our gardens, you know, they, they, the trees represent absolutely the very, very best value. We actually got that, that question of yours, Tim. You know, how do you kind of value the contribution, the preventive value, uh, uh, the contribution that, that landscape and, and the environment makes? Uh, what we do on our schemes is we, we, we did one in Swindon where we, we put in some houses and we spent £40,000 on public realm. That's on willows and vegetable gardens and um, trees and grass and wildflowers and herbs and so on. And we put it all in and there were, it was all very, very edible. Instead of, instead of a prickly thorn bush, you put in a, a, a gooseberry. And instead of a, of a decorative shrub, you put in some rhubarb. And, um, and, and the, the, the great thing about that is that right now there's, a, there's an algorithm being produced by the Horticultural Trades Association together with CAVE, the Commission for Architecture and the Built Environment, who are sort of sadly no more, really, thanks to this government. Anyway, they uh, produce an algorithm which monetizes the health, preventive health, uh, the social benefits, and the food benefits of landscape in our built environment. And our £40,000 they value almost immediately at 500,000 pounds, half a million pounds of benefit to those 42 households from 40,000 pounds of investment. Now, on the one hand, I think, wow, that's amazing because, you know, that really delivers value and we can demonstrate to our banks, our lenders, and our partners that doing this stuff and doing big public realm stuff and giving people ownership of their vegetable gardens and shared polytunnels is, is, all, is all very important and, and, and it's worth investing in. On the other hand, the Bibbany says, well, how come it's taken us all this time to get to the point where all we have to do is to monetize it into pound notes? Because pound notes is still the only language that any of us can understand, isn't it? That any government, that any uh, health uh, department director will ever understand. This is a project in Stroud where I was today where we're doing a similar kind of thing. And uh, where we're building uh, lots of allotments. I've now been told I've got 30 seconds. I've only got another 76 slides. So, um, <laughs> this is Stroud 2 and here. And you can see the depth and the layer, the layering. Here's some swales and willows and where we're trying to do all this kind of stuff. And here is a project in Oxford where we're working, trying to um, take the traditional arts and crafts language of Oxford housing and produce um, this is a tiny model of a some kind of modern 21st century Oxford typology. Everywhere we work, we work with different architects, 
and we try and develop a language of building which belongs to that place. Always not designing historically, but designing in a language which, which looks as though what we're producing is the, are the, are the grandchildren of the existing houses or the, the, the children of the existing houses, if that makes sense. You know, we're trying to produce the next generation of buildings that look as though they belong really where they are. And we do this with a lot of consultation. And, um, and we believe this. And you can see uh, brilliantly that uh, our, 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 our watchwords here are consultation, empowerment, involvement, <laughs> and trusts, and fruity streams. What they really say is consultation and working with community. We also do a lot of design charrettes and, and involve communities in that design process to help us evolve the scheme. Uh, we create community land trusts so that ownership of those schemes can be held in perpetuity thanks to the collaboration of our partners, uh, housing associations, with residents, because that fundamentally, you know, even if you don't own the home in which you live, actually owning your house or owning a title to the public realm around you and to the, to the community uh, around you, the community orchards and the community facilities around you is, is absolutely fundamental. And, fu and as I keep saying, that fundamentally, uh, well, our big tagline is, uh, is Fruity Streets. I've been told to stop now. Look. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Thank you.